Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com slash cloud. up everybody welcome back to mile higher podcast today we've got episode number 32 and what are we talking about today we are talking about something that's actually been really highly requested and that is the mysteriousness is that even a word mysteriousness, mysteriousness? yes surrounding all of these people that have gone missing in national parks or on just wild lands federal yes. lands things like yes. that national across, land yeah across the country Yes, and there's a very large amount of them. And you guys have asked so many times. Um, so we're doing it today. And it is really going to be an interesting episode because there's a lot of things a, to just ponder. You know, like there's a lot of open-ended things. Here. Very open-ended. There's not a lot of conclusions that are going to be drawn today because there's so many possibilities. And I think I'm honestly surprised we haven't done this sooner because this takes place actually some of the cases we're covering yeah. take place in our backyard practically in mm -hmm. uh rocky mountain national park which we've been to many times like i've been there probably far too many times but we are going to talk about all that today but before we jump in to that today just want to quickly thank all of the fans out there for the sport all the patrons out there we really appreciate you guys you guys are helping us Get a new studio so we can get out of this bedroom and into a real studio space with more room. It's going to be awesome. And we have a vlog of it, too. If you guys yeah. I know some of you probably don't know this, but we do have a vlog channel that we post occasionally on and we're trying to post on it more. But I just posted a little uh, vlog about the beginning of the renovation of the new podcast studio. So you can check that out. If you just type in Mile Higher Life on YouTube, it'll come up. Which, yeah, is the name of our vlog channel now. Yes. And if you go and watch, we'll be posting, you know, different stages of the progress of the construction. Like tomorrow they start laying the new floors and stuff. Mm -hmm. We've got new furniture. We've got a sweet, uh, the new sign is going to be like amazing. I don't think you understand how cool it's going to look. And I'm it's excited. just going to really make this feel like, I don't know, just a, a whole nother level higher mile higher <laughs> that's right baby mile higher we're taking but the studio a mile higher for real this will give us the opportunity to interview people one person in particular we were hoping to interview is david politis who is part of this uh story today he's been hugely involved in this whole 411 project missing 411 written a number of books he's the one who put together the documentary which i'm sure a lot of you have either seen or heard about which we actually just watched last night and yeah. so he's heavily involved with this and he actually lives in Colorado, yeah. which is even more convenient. So, so of course definitely we want to have him. We'd be honored to have him on our podcast. That'd be fascinating. So, because but, you know, gonna... we can't really hit him up right now. Be like, Mr. Politis, want to come sit on our lap because we have no room. <laughs> it would literally actually, be like, you could just stand yeah, between us, just stand against the green screen, <laughs> just right here. Be like, hello, sir. <laughs> but soon, hopefully, you know, hopefully by like October, the the setup should yeah. be ready to go yeah it should be around um, there so, so it'll look better it'll to it. just be overall going to open so many more opportunities for us i think with just growing the podcast and and you know 
taking it even farther. Bringing interesting people to you guys, you right. know? We can only tell you so much because we only have the internet to research things. We want some experts who know this stuff, who've like dedicated our life to this stuff because they can give you even deeper of an explanation, explanation for and, things. Yeah. And probably bring up things that aren't just in news articles on the internet and on just random right. websites. Like right. these guys have dedicated Inside some access. of their lives to this, yeah. which you know, David's heavily involved. The whole purpose of, of doing this and really looking into this this phenomenon, really, of the number of people that go just vanish out of thin air. These are the cases that he investigates are basically people that have gone missing and essentially they rule out that they're animal related. Yeah. And there's really no rhyme or reason for why they vanished and how they vanished and what happened to them. So that's yeah. really what he focuses on. And it's pretty mind mind blowing, honestly what what he's uncovers but today's patron question comes from nicole one of my questions why do you think many people are hesitant to even consider a truth that is not mainstream for example why do you think some people discount all conspiracy theories mainly i think it's because people are afraid to admit it because once you admit one thing that kind of opens the door for another thing and i think a lot of people like can't even go there no you you're know? absolutely right you know if you yeah if you said it perfectly. If you open one door, then it leads to another. And then there's a hallway down to the left to another door, which then takes you down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And then, you know, swirl around for a while. And then you mm -hmm. end up in a totally different place and a mindset that you never thought was possible mm -hmm. to achieve. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, honestly, I think fear is a big part of it. People are also just scared of the unknown, scared of what they don't know. And for some people, they just don't want to know necessarily the truth, even if it is in fact, a difficult truth to swallow. Some yeah. people just don't want to know that. So, or they like have so much faith and uh, like pride in their government that they can't admit that something could be that flawed with it, or they would plan things against us or set things up, rigged systems against us. And I mean, it's not that hard to see these conspiracies, though. Like most people, I mean, the prison system is a perfect explanation. It's pretty much a giant conspiracy. Yeah, against yeah, I mean, humanity, and it's like <laughs> true. Us, yeah. It's not like, do you believe it? It's fucking true. So I don't know. I think that's going to open more. Seeing the truth about a lot of things, you know, I was thinking about it. Like on Netflix, they have so many documentaries just about the truth about like climate and food, food industry and pharmaceuticals and the truth about federal reserve corporations and, yeah, yeah corporation stuff mm -hmm. where these documentaries can back it up with fact. And this is opening people up to the idea of, okay, there's some fuckery going on. So they're more open to the idea that there could be more fuckery going on. So I think yeah. overall societies with things like Netflix and the internet, we're learning a lot more, you know? Absolutely. And I think people's thought processes are just different. And I think it just takes different people, different amounts of time to really open themselves up to things. Cause if you slam somebody with something really yeah. heavy, or you try to push a, a, you know, or, you know, you just tell somebody about a theory that is very controversial or something that implies some very like evil shit. Of course, they're going to adversely react to that. Most yeah. likely a logical person is like we have some friends that are, you know, they're very logical people. They base things on fact and evidence and, you know, very scientific about things for questioning. Right. The but, truth. And that's what they know to be true. And, you know, yeah. I respect that because, yeah, it's the reality of things. But. You know, I think you also have to always just consider everything as an option. You know, you can't, yeah. we can't, you know, for everything that we can't rule out 100%, why can't we at least consider it? Right. And question it and think about it critically. So that's just my two cents on it. Yeah, but. I totally agree.
But I think mainly it's because people are scared. Yeah, people are scared. <laughs> it's a lot I easier to just continue living. Like, you know, Vinny, this yeah. is halfway true. Then we're in trouble. <laughs> I think it's more than halfway true, dude. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of evidence for this shit we talk about. Yeah, and speaking of evidence, they uncovered a massive pyramid in Lost City in China, which is yes. big news that broke this week. And one thing I just wanted to mention, just like the way that we're structuring our podcast for those that are, are new to the podcast that don't necessarily understand our flow of things and, you know, maybe have come from other podcasts where they do it a certain way. Yeah. Like our whole way here is to be just like a casual chat. And the way that we've kind of been structuring it is like every week, it seems like there's some type of new story. There's some type of discovery. There's something really interesting that maybe graces the headlines, but you know, nobody's really talking about that much. So I like to go out and find those things. So does Kendall. And we, and we love can't to really, discuss them. you know, do a whole podcast on them. So we have them as subtopics. And for those of you who like don't want to hear the subtopics and you want to hear, you just want to get right into the meat of the thing. We have, um, yeah, I put timestamps time stamps now in the description box. So yeah, convenient that was a good little explanation there. Okay. So this is craziness. Yeah. So what you guys are seeing is a 4,300 year old city. And if you're listening, it looks like a mound, like a mountain. And it doesn't look like much from the outside, but they've started excavating this mountain and they've been uncovering layers and layers of different uh, rock formations and what looks like a pyramid, a step pyramid is what they're called. It's interesting. 230 feet high and spans 59 acres at its base. And archaeologists just reported this in the August issue of the Journal of Antiquity. The pyramid was decorated with eye symbols and anthro, uh, anthropomorphic or part human, part animal faces. Interesting. Those figures may have endowed this set pyramid special religious power and further strengthened the general visual impression on its large audience. I think it had religious power pyramids. Yeah, because I mean, right, here's the thing. It seems like we're finding more and more pyramids or uncovering more pyramid-like structures, whether they look like exactly like pyramids or they're these step pyramids. It's very, very interesting that they are showing up all over the world. Yeah. North, South America, Europe, Asia. It makes you think maybe there's something to it. Hmm. <laughs> maybe they had figured something out. Maybe there is something special about the pyramid shape and maybe there is a reason like for me I'm I, I think it go either way, right? I think the pyramids could have been a major major Structure in their religious views or spirituality, you know at the time that these were built. I think there was something special about them if you want to use that word, but either that or it seems to me like they may have been used in order to conduct this type of electromagnetic energy source. Yeah. That we. I brought this up in our podcast about Egypt. Yeah, you did actually. Yeah. So we, I think we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm, we have. But I don't know. It's very interesting that now we're finding one in China that's this large. I know. Well, it definitely makes it more, even more profound what these pyramids meant. I mean, they obviously meant something. They're everywhere. It, it does. Multiple cultures. Very interesting that everyone had the eye. God. Mm -hmm. It's like they really knew, man. And the part human, part animal thing really gets me too. Yeah, because most like ancient stuff had that kind yep. of stuff. Egypt, in it. Had, sorry, Mayans, <laughs> I mean, 
almost all of them, I think, that kind have of imagery. Yeah. Like, what if there was like part human, part animal? There could have been, or they like, were like their gods, or yeah, aliens, or they're like know. aliens. Yeah, exactly. So very interesting. It, it it really is. I mean, it's making you rethink everything about archaeology, and and like, here's the thing: is like the official archaeologists working on the excavation are saying it was like just built for defense and it has these sophisticated bulwarks um which are defensive walls how are they so quick to come out and be like oh yeah no this but it is was from like this, military this, is this like how the fuck do you know dude this is up to interpretation unless it says on the outside of it what exactly it does or what it's for you don't know and it makes me so annoyed that they put out a narrative as if it's what is fact right it well they kind of expect people to take it that way take yeah. it as like Here's here's what the experts think it is. So we're just going to adopt that, you know, theory of it. Yeah. But what's interesting about this pyramid, which is called Shimao, I think is how you say S H I M A O, Shimao, probably Shimao, and they actually found remains of numerous human sacrifices Ooh. in the outer gateway of the eastern gate on the outer rampart alone. Six pits containing human heads have been found. Dude, I wonder. So the Mayans, I know, used to do this crazy like sacrifice where they would take someone up to the top of their their pyramids cut out their heart while they're alive and then roll them down the entire steps all the way down to the bottom i wonder if that's what they were doing if they're finding them at the outside rim Human of it. sacrifices who yeah that's some creepy shit god it's just crazy. like so many thoughts are running through my head right now i'm <sighs> just like i just had a thought hit me like Human sacrifice seems to be a very big proponent in these ancient civilizations. And yeah. if we ever decide to take them seriously and take their belief seriously and like what they did, what if, what if, you know, as a part, like if they're, let's just say their religions were kind of on the right track to what, you know, the reality is of everything and them understanding what this is, what the universe is and everything based upon their religious you know beliefs because they had very a lot of them had similar religious beliefs and human sacrifice being a part of it but what if that is something that is supposed is supposed to be around today and i'm not implying that there should be but i'm just saying like what if from the angle of why did all these an ancient yeah, civilizations why do we, it? Yeah. why'd we stop though if that How was do we in know fact that something we stopped there you go that's what i was waiting for you to say. Mm. <laughs> exactly so there's the the thought there but god yeah that's just crazy man but they're saying that it's far older than the Great Wall, which was built 2,700 to four uh, and 400 years ago. Between mm -hmm. 2,700. Oh, okay. So, yeah, an old pyramid in China. Interesting. They're Very finding artifacts and everything else. So we'll see see what happens with that. But something else in the news this week that was interesting and yeah, kind of and people are buzzing about. Yeah, well, because it's it's coming to be that time here. We're going into November ish area. Right. <laughs> Right, Which elections is, are coming. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Elections, uh, midterm. For those who aren't in America, midterm elections we have every two years mm -hmm. for House and Senate. Yeah, and speaking of of the House, Bettina Rodriguez Aguilera is a Republican vying to replace retiring Representative Ileana Rose Lintonen in Florida's twenty seventh congressional district. She has once claimed that she was abducted by aliens as a child. Interesting. Several years before she announced her candidacy, she appeared on the Spanish language television programs most recently in 2011 and detailed her experience with aliens. 
In one video that was uploaded to YouTube, Rodriguez Aguilera revealed she first encountered aliens when she was seven years old after her parents asked her to go outside their home. She said she was taken aboard a round spaceship with three extraterrestrial creatures, two women and a man were tall, full-figured, and blonde. They wore robes and spoke telepathically. She boarded the spacecraft, she said, where she claims the aliens told her, God is a universal energy, not a person. It's in everything. God talks to people, and they understand it in different ways, but there's only one religion. Yep. And in another interview, the one-time council member from Doral, Florida, said the the beings with their arms stretched open reminded her of Rio de Janeiro's Christ the Redeemer statue. Interesting. And that she saw them again throughout her teenage years. She also revealed she saw a UFO when she was 17. So this is somebody running for uh, (laughs) a congressional seat. Do you think she could get elected or are people just going to be like, she's a whack job? Well, she is not the front runner. Hmm. But she did get endorsed by the Miami Herald, which is a big newspaper. So it's kind of a big deal. It's just so hard with these types of things because they don't necessarily have any proof. You have to like decide if you believe them. I've always had trouble with it. But like at the same time, why just completely not believe her? You know, I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle. Right. And for me, it, it comes back to other people's, you know, testimonies of of experiences they've claimed to have with extraterrestrial beings and I, I can say that the extraterrestrial she's referring to full figured and blonde remind me a lot of uh the uh shit what's her name the pleadens maybe or the nordic uh the nordic race that's out there but that, how do you know it's out there um that could be out there that i believe is out there sorry based uh, it's on not out there but for you've sure, never but seen proof of it just but just based upon a number of people that have interface with these aliens i think that they might be this race of aliens might be out there yeah i think yeah from what i've read about that specific one yeah there's probably a good chance because they're supposed to look pretty much like us right some of them are yes correct interesting and it's interesting that they brought up the like religious views of god is a universal energy Mm -hmm. not a person it's in everything so that would indicate that these aliens were very um very woke and (laughs) high up on the consciousness level meter uh, because yeah, that's a pretty interesting and fundamental understanding of everything. And I'd like to hear her talk about it. It's very hard for me to decide if someone is, if I feel like they're authentic or not just by reading text. I need to like watch a video of her talking about it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she talks about it in Spanish, I believe. So that's Dr. Greer talks about having an experience when he was a child and I just really believe him. I get such authentic vibes from him. Yeah. And I really question a lot of people. So so but very interesting. Very though. interesting. And she's and the fact that she's so like forthcoming and public about it, because you would think like she would know that some people would just call her a kook and be like, you're crazy, you crazy woman. Like you don't yeah. you've never seen aliens before. Yeah. But she sticks by her story. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting that more and more people are seemingly coming forward with these types of experiences to report. Mm hmm. But one other thing sort of related to politics that we just wanted to. Uh, mentioned before we get into it is uh, John McCain. Yeah. The passing of John McCain. Um, John McCain, if you didn't know, is a senator from Arizona who was in the military for a very long time, actually was held as a prisoner of war for a few years with his 
hands literally tied behind his back and he had permanent damage from that. And he was suffering from a very rare type of brain cancer. I think it's called glioblastoma, but I'm not completely yeah, sure. I've heard like Megan that. McCain talk about it a bunch of times, so I kind of remember, but I'm not sure. He passed away yesterday and I was just really sad about it um, just because I really like Megan McCain. I think he was a like one of the last good political people. And I mean, I mean, depending on what you think, like I just had a respect for him. Right. I mean, you may not always, you know, go along with his politics or mm -mm. views of thinking. But when you look at him as a human being, right. When you look at his life experiences, what he's gone through, what he sacrificed. Yeah, it's astounding. And it's, you know, he is a true patriot, true American hero. He's done more for this country than probably any of us can even ever come close to in our lives. So, you know, you got to pay your respects. And, yeah. you know, and I'm sure he's not perfect. I'm sure there's conspiracies. But, you know, I just when someone it's just very sad, especially someone who. Well, you know, he has a family, yeah. you know, like Megan and, you know, yeah. so it's like you got to you got to feel for people. I really it's like Megan McCain because she's always been able to explain just things I didn't understand like helped me understand Trump better and I really respect her. I think she's very smart and I think that's because her dad raised her. I don't know. I just really felt I don't know. It's just sad. Cancer sucks. Yeah, it does. Just it, does. It's really, really sucks. It's rough. But so. yeah, we just wanted to pay our respects and uh, you know, positive vibes to the McCain family and uh anybody that knew him personally. So Let's jump into David Politis and the Missing 411 Project. Yes. This is really interesting because just to preface this a little bit, like for me personally, I grew up like the only vacations I ever took were camping trips. And I spent a lot of time in Rocky Mountain National Park, specifically uh, other national parks that are out there. My parents are huge hikers. They're really outdoorsy. They're into, you know... Yeah, they're into anything outdoorsy related, but they definitely do tons of hiking. So growing up, instead of going on vacations to, you know, a lot of the, you know, popular vacation spots that families go to, my parents would be like, all right, we're going to spend a week out in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes we'd literally camp in places where there is no designated camping spots. Like we were just in the middle just of the in, national, yeah. the national forest or something and just like nobody around us. And <laughs> Thank God I don't know. I didn't know what I know now about that. And I yeah. was like, whatever. Like, I'm just in the middle of the forest. Cause... Every time we're like, oh, we should go camping. Then we're like, we look at each other like, <laughs> wait, we know too much. Like, I don't know. In a tent? <laughs> it's a little <laughs> it's, scary. It's not really secure. But it shouldn't be. I mean, I love camping. but <laughs> No, I do too. Now we normally I try to stay in cabins. the mountains. Yeah, we, we try to do it in a more secure way now. Let's just say that. But this is very, very interesting. This 401 project. And so is David Politis, which, again, we want to have on the podcast because he is in our uh, in our city. So David Politis, he he obtained his undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of San Francisco. And then in 1977, he began working for the Fremont Police Department. So this guy is extremely reputable, has a has a history in law enforcement. Uh, in 1980, he transferred to the nearby San Jose Police Department and worked in the patrol division of the SWAT team, as well as patrol and street crimes unit. He was also a detective for a while, and he worked in the vice intelligence unit and performed a variety of assignments. And in 2011, he retired after 16.5 years of service. 
with the San Jose Police Department. And, you know, once you retire from the police department, a lot of people, you know, end up going on to do other things. You know, other friends that I've had that have, you know, had parents or whatever that have retired as police officers go on to do something else a lot of the times. And what David decided to do was become a cryptozoologist. So somebody who researches cryptids or creatures that, you know, a lot of people often say don't exist, but seems like there might be some evidence for them, such as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And uh, David Politis has authored a number of books on the topic of Bigfoot, as well as on the disappearance of people to which he attributes unspecified unknown causes, which we're talking about today, and mm. his his 411 project. So he's kind of got these two different projects going on. Yeah. So in David's pursuit of the cryptid known as Bigfoot or Sasquatch, he self-published two Bigfoot-related books and created the research group called the North American America Bigfoot Search, for which he serves as director. But his obsession shifted from Sasquatch to missing persons when he says a national park ranger told him a troubling story. Over his years of involvement with numerous search and rescue operations at several different national parks, this ranger said he had detected a trend that he couldn't understand. The ranger explained that during the first seven to ten days of a disappearance, he would witness massive search and rescue activity and significant press coverage. Following this initial week-long effort, there was almost always an immediate halt to the coverage, a discontinued search for the victims, and no explanation from the search authorities. And this hmm. bothered David because he's like, what the hell does this... Like, obviously, if a ranger came to you and told you this, you would be like, obviously... But is that because this... they just assume the worst? Maybe. You know? Maybe. And then there's a lot of animals and stuff. Right, but when you look at the statistics for animals, it doesn't make sense for the yeah. number of people that go right. that go missing and never are found again. So that's or sketch. Or the remains are found. It is a bit sketch. So uh, this bothered him enough to where David started asking questions and he started getting no answers. So he started doing his own research. And what he discovered has shocked him. People of all ages have been disappearing from national parks and forests at an alarming rate, all under similar circumstances. As of right now or this past year, I think it's probably far more than this now, but there are up to 1,600 cases and growing where people, children, vanish into the wild without a trace and no signs of an animal attack present where they were last seen or where the remains are found. So basically, he gets bombarded with cases, I'm sure, but one of the yeah. first things he does is he vets out whether or not you know this is just an animal attack because usually... When there's an animal attack, an animal, this is actually kind of crazy, but I had, um, you remember my friend, uh, Bo? Yeah. His mom got attacked by a black bear. Oh, oh, you've told me. Remember this. how yeah. crazy that? Yeah. They live up in the mountains right. and Fuck. she was hiking. Like they live in the mountains, like way up there. And she was hiking one day and she literally got chased down by a black bear <sighs> and the black bear, like potter, like a huge paw on her butt. Yeah. Like, oh bam, God. and there was, like, like she had pictures of it and everything, and, like, she got away from it, but people do get attacked by them, and I, I think somebody died from a grizzly the other day. So oh, people geez. do get attacked, get seriously hurt. Did you see that there was a bear in the Stanley Hotel last night? No. Yeah. Really? They, there was a, a black bear in the lobby, like, <laughs> somehow got into the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. Yeah, bears, yeah. if you've never seen a bear... 
in the wild, they're they're very smart and they know how to open shit really well. Yeah, they are really smart. And they're if you've cute. never been to the mountains, there's these bear proof <laughs> trash cans yeah. that they're super strict about where they only have an opening on the top because these bears will figure out how to flip it over or open it up. So that's interesting. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I think you have to really consider. And I want to talk to him more about because I wonder yeah. if, you know, with animals seemingly coming down in elevation closer right. to humans, Close, like there's yeah. going to be more attacks and more you know, animals around. So are they to attribute for some of these disappearances? Mm. But not in every case. What's also interesting that David found was that in many of the cases he researched and investigated, parents and relatives of the victims believe their loved ones were kidnapped. Mm. And we'll talk about uh, one particular one, or maybe even two today that, or maybe all of them actually, where kidnapping could be a possibility. Law enforcement and the media typically do not publicize concerns of kidnapping or abduction when the missing can be explained through traditional means. That's true. They do. They oftentimes, you know, especially like if somebody in the wild, they'll immediately go to animal attack, which, you know, logically that makes sense. Yeah. But there are too many similar cases to ignore the trend. The consistencies must be accounted for. Victims' families are left without closure, and the Park Service refuses to follow up or keep any sort of national list and or database of the missing people. Thousands of missing people. And this documentary that he put out called Missing 411, the movie, I'll link it for you guys so you guys can go see it. It's on Hulu for free if you've got a Hulu account, or it's on Amazon and Mm -hmm. Vimeo. But in his documentary, he sits down with Ken Salazar, who was during the Obama era, was the uh, secretary. head of the Department of the Interior, I believe. And he asked him, like, point blank, he's like, is there any list that exists to account for all the missing persons in national parks and lands? And he literally, of course, like, chokes on his saliva and is like... (laughs) And then makes this, like, bullshit excuse, basically, like, no, that would be way too hard, essentially. We don't have a way to do this. Yeah, didn't they say that it would cost $1.6 to get that information? Yeah, I think that's what uh, David said it was. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like 1.4, 1.6 million. They gave him some crazy amount. To do that. This makes no sense. So they have no database. We have no idea exactly how many people have gone missing. And there's a lot of national parks. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that have gone missing in them. Yes, there's a lot. So David's instincts told him that this was a story that needed to be told. So in 2011, he launched the Can-Am Missing Project and then devoted six years to investigating missing people in rural areas And the result of this was the identification of 52 geographical clusters of missing people in North America. These clusters form the basis for his self-published six volumes in his popular Missing 411 book series, with his most recent book being Missing 411 Hunters, Unexplained Disappearances. So he also put out the documentary we just mentioned in 2016. And his whole hope with this, and, and from what I've gathered, is that he just wants to bring awareness to... The amount of people that are going missing yeah. in national parks and like have yeah. people start thinking about this a little bit deeper. I really appreciated that about him is that his documentary didn't push any narrative. He didn't say, I think it's Bigfoot because like, I don't know if I think it's Bigfoot. I think it may be something else. So he really leaves it open for the viewer to kind of make up their own mind and definitely doesn't push any narrative in that. No, not at all. Which I is mean, nice. Which is great. And I think the best way to do it. So I agree. I just wanted to give you guys a little uh, listen of his teaser trailer here because it's 
so fascinating. Hang on one sec, sorry. Yeah, so I really hope we can get him on the podcast soon because I'd love to talk to him about this fairly yeah. soon after we do this episode because I think he could provide a lot of insight on what we talk about today yeah. as well as maybe new stuff that's come up. So here's, mm -hmm. the, here's the intro to his uh, documentary. According to state police, there are 41 missing children. At least they have an idea of where he was last seen. Follows them for a point, but then turns around and goes back. There's no clothing, there's no blood, there's nothing there. There's any sense to this case whatsoever. It's something. I called every name I could. And I listened. I wanted the media to be on my son, not on me. Why are they acting this way? Are they concealing something? Doesn't matter who thinks you're a murderer, we need to find your son. And here was this little toddler with absolutely no clothes on at all. Across my desk, it's an exact match for what we've talked about. We're talking about a worldwide collective of information. Everybody wants an answer. Hopefully someday we'll come up with it. There's just too many questions that don't have answers. So that's, yeah, well, if that doesn't grab you, then just wait till the end of this episode because yeah. it's really interesting. It gives you a very good rep visual representation of of the stories we're going to be covering because we're going to cover some of the stories that are in, in his documentary, but I highly recommend you go watch it after this because it is very interesting. And one of the things that's mentioned in there is um, that a lot of the kids or children that go missing, there's a strange trend among them that many of them have some type of physical or mental disability, it seems, which, you know, I don't know exactly what, you know, how to, what that exactly means or if there is more significance to that, but it is very interesting that of the children that go missing in national parks, a number of them, a large number of them yeah. have some type of physical or mental disability. So interesting. And then the one rescuer uh, that's in the film Mm -hmm. mentions a time where the like one of the weirdest things that happened to her while out searching for somebody she was just searching through the woods and all of a sudden a child a young oh, child yeah. like comes out of seemingly nowhere and has no clothes on yeah that's and so she's creepy. like what like what is going on like that's weird and and i think you're starting to hopefully kind of see some of the trend here and in, in you know some of the things we might insinuate about that i mean that's just so wild but let's talk about um story number one and that's about jared adadero and and he is a three-year-old who disappeared while hiking oh, he was alone a on a steep too. trail through the dense woods of roosevelt national forest in colorado in october 1999 and a lot of these take place in colorado yeah they do so jared's father alan who owned the lodge that they were staying at, let Jared go for a short hike with some adults and his six-year-old daughter. And one thing to mention about this is he was at like a, um, there was like a church church group there, like a mm -hmm. Christian uh, church group there. And those, he went with them because they were, they were staying at the lodge that he owned. At some point, Jared became separated from the adults and his sister. He eventually ran into a group of fishermen who talked to him for a little while and then l let him head back alone. And this was really weird the way they explained it. They basically said that they were kind of like walking in a single file line along the trail. They and were then hiking they, along. They sort of like got spaced out. 
and then somehow they, they lost track yeah. of him. They stopped for a period of like who like separates 10, 20 that minutes much? and then he's he, three nobody was watching him he's fucking three and just let him like run off i know something really was like really off about that to me so he runs off and then he runs there's like a roaring creek or river pretty much mm-hmm. where fishermen are fishing and the fishermen remember this kid coming up to them and they're like where you know who are like where who are you with yeah and then they send him back. They should have like walked him back to his parents and just yeah. like run back, little child. Like yeah, run back into the woods. Like oh my yeah, God. That some people seems so have dumb. no like instinct for this kind of stuff. I swear to God. But after Jared leaves the fisherman, he's never seen again. We have no idea where he went, where he disappeared to. He's just gone. So search and rescue is immediately called. With the trailer, uh, with the trail clearly marked and many people on it that day, Jared's father and the adults who were in charge of his safety expected him to be found in a matter of hours. Which, how far could he possibly go? You know, in that amount of time. I mean, it wasn't that. It wasn't yeah. like days or hours and hours and hours that he was missing. Right. It wasn't that long. Mm-mm. But it ends up being he ends up being missing for a long time because it wasn't until. 2003 so from 1999 to 2003 is when a pair of hikers found his clothing and shortly thereafter teeth and skull fragments or skull cap were discovered and later matched to jared by dna and what's so puzzling and weird about this is that his remains were found off a part of the trail marked strenuous strenuous so like harder up it was 500 feet up a like boulder field oh right yeah which, if you don't know what a boulder field, this is very, very tough terrain to hike up. These yes. are huge boulders. You're having to look like a couple steps ahead of you. And for a child mm-hmm. to get up that high That'd is be difficult. Is crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's like insane. Doesn't even seem possible. Mm-mm. Remember those the pair yeah. of hikers were like, we're avid hikers and we that was that. tough for us. So yeah. there's no way a little kid like wandered his way up there. No. Doesn't so make any sense. That's interesting. And what's also interesting is that the search and rescue teams involved claim to have gone over the area where they found his remains prior to actually finding them. That was another interesting thing about it was they were like, yeah, we swear we went up that side. Like, how do we not see this if it was there the whole time? Like, yeah, that's what's so weird about it, too, is like kind of just like appeared appeared. later on. Yeah. And it's just so bizarre. Let me let me explain this. So. Many speculated that Jared had been attacked and carried off by a mountain lion. The findings seemed to fit the narrative until they found his clothing or had his clothing examined. And this was perhaps the most weird thing about all this is that they actually showed it. His fleece jacket is not like ripped up like you would expect for because like, right, a a mountain lion takes you and eats you. If that's what you're going to say happens to you, then it's not going to like preserve your clothes first. It's going to just tear right through it and yeah, you know, rip them off. Right. That's what you would think. I mean, maybe not, but it wasn't ripped. It was like folded and the pants were intact. Yeah. But inside out. Yeah. That, that was says. weird to me too. And the pants are actually torn and like ripped apart, but it's clearly from birds like picking off yeah. the fabric to use as, later like, on. Yeah. Right. Right. But then what was also really weird is the shoes were like in great condition. Yeah, they were like perfect. They They were just sitting there. 
Did the it look- people who found it were like, it just looked like it was sitting there, like it was supposed to be there, or a kid just stepped out of it. Yeah, that's exactly what they said. That's so fucking crazy. Yeah, that's really weird. And the dad is literally like showing the shoes, and he's like, if he was dragged off by a mountain lion, you would expect to see, you know, some type of dragging or some type of yeah, marks of on the actual shoes. And not only that, but the Colorado Bureau of Investigation ran uh, DNA tests on his clothes and found no hair from a predatory animal. And See, that's weird. No blood. It's not like an animal is trying not to leave behind evidence either. So that's just so weird. The fact that there's no blood on the clothes, they're not the shirt's not ripped at all, and there's no mountain lion hair. There, you would, ex- I honestly, you would, I would expect that you would see at least something, tissue, anything. That's so weird. But to there's me. no blood either. What on earth? Because I mean, if a mountain lion were to like attack me. There'd yeah. be blood on my shirt, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. Somewhere or a hair or they something. They go. They're smart. They don't. They go where they can. Like yeah, they're predator predators. They know where to go. They go for that shoulder neck area. They go for that. They would know to attack there. I was wondering though, like if you were to get like bit in the neck by a mountain lion, what if they like didn't take their teeth out of the puncture wounds and that kept the blood in? Could that happen or is that just like not like would some blood still have come out? There would have been blood. Hundred Well, think about it. If you were to take a pin, stick it in your finger, blood would Im- immediately come out. Right, it wouldn't right, plug yeah. the hole, you know, blood right. would come out. Right. Especially that big. And a mountain lion is going to readjust its grip. It's funny you said that. I literally just watched a YouTube video about a woman that that the video is literally called I survived a mountain lion attack. And yeah. I watched this before watching this and she accounts. She's a full-grown woman. She was hiking, and a mountain lion literally just jumped out of nowhere, grabbed her by the back of her neck, and literally, like, attacked half of her face. Oh, And she God. survived, though, which wow. is crazy. She thought she was dead for sure. Survived it, and now, is, and now is talking about it. It's, like, crazy. And there was probably blood everywhere for her. There was. That was the thing. There was yeah. so much blood everywhere. You would find It was crazy. Something. Right? That's so weird. So that that's when people start getting into zones of, like... Conspiracy, Which is, yeah. aliens, something paranormal, something like that. Yes, That's which will really interesting. Which we'll talk about in a second. But here's here's some also interesting facts about this particular case. So a group called the Thunder Street Ministry, um, who has worked with the Adadera family specifically, uh, help help them to solve cold cases, provide investigative services at no cost, kind of like a, a you know for free charity type group. But they made a visit to the Poudre Canyon from September 21st and 24th and spent some time with Adadero family on the Big South Trail, which was where Jared was last seen. And the and they had some thoughts. I found this on a Reddit forum because they had some thoughts about this because there's been a ton of craziness surrounding this and some of it coming straight from his dad, which I'll talk about. But they wanted to make a few statements about this case. They said... The group that Jared was with was comprised of individuals known to Alan and whom he hosted at the resort in the past, save for three new people in the group. The woman who was initially looking after Jared and his sister was a family friend who had babysat the kids on several occasions and had given the family a place to stay when they first moved to Colorado. That's interesting. So they did have somebody that was like a babysitter for Jared and his sister that was on the hike with Jared that day. That's weird. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. 
So initially, when Alan refused to let Jared go on the hike, he was told they were only going to the Poudre River Fish Hatchery, which is less than 10 minutes from the resort. It's like trout, right? Mm-hmm. He was familiar with that area and eventually let Jared go along. The team made a stop here on the second day of the trip and found it to be an ideal place for families to take their kids. The group then left without telling Alan where they had gone. Jared's parents, here's another interesting thing, Jared's parents divorced a year or two before moving to Colorado, so she was not in the picture until after Jared disappeared. Hmm. Which is why in the documentary you only see his dad. Yeah, you only saw, I was wondering about that actually. The condition of Jared's clothing indicates that someone placed them there to be found. As someone mentioned earlier in the forum, the clothes would have been covered with debris if they were even strong enough to have lasted four winters in the canyon. That's what's so crazy, guys, is that he goes missing in 1993 to 2003. And when you see his clothes, I'll see if I can put it in here, but if you're seeing his clothes, then you are going to be like, well, especially his fleece pullover. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. Three, four years in the forest, like no debris. Yeah, it looks like it was literally just set there. That is so weird. But like if someone abducted him, why would they come and like bring his clothes back? What the fuck? That is so bizarre, dude. It is bizarre. Because mountain lions do not skin their prey. Like that's yeah, they like don't remove make, clothing. Yeah. What? So that is very interesting. Also, the remains found are completely inconsistent with a mountain lion attack. Initially, they did not find any remains with the clothing. After a press conference was held and the sheriff made his claim that it was a mountain lion attack, a well-respected medical examiner by the name of Dr. Michael Baden was interviewed. He was very blunt in his analysis that if it were a mountain lion attack, you wouldn't just find nothing. He said you'd find small bones in the shoes that you'd at least find a tooth. It was after this they sent the forensic team... To comb the area and found a tooth sitting on top of a log with no debris covering it. The tooth was also determined to be from the lower jaw, which was not found in the area. So what the fuck is that about? Like, how does that happen? How does one tooth just show up on a log with nothing else? How would they else? have not missed that? Or like, how would it, wouldn't it be? Wow, that's so weird. That's creepy as hell. That, it that, disappeared. It's almost like someone's setting it out. It seems like them. it's like a, yeah. Wow, that's so creepy. Very creepy. The sheriff who's in charge of the actual search was present only when news cameras were present. When they left, he left. He was also the architect of the mountain lion theory, which he claimed was what the press wanted to hear. Behind the scenes, he told Alan that he believed Jared fell in the river, which that was kind of my thought too, was that it'd be very easy for a child to fall in a river and... But wouldn't know. they find him like But that's uh, the thing, it doesn't... Something? right. The clothes like, yeah. disprove that. Yeah, right. The clothes disprove that. Because couldn't they like test them for water, like river water? Did they do that? I guess you probably don't know. I wonder if they did that. Can you test for river water? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure you can tell if something's been in the river and is dried. I don't know. Actually, I mean, I really can't speak. But I'd imagine they'd be able to do that. But where's his body then? And how did it get up? get up on the side of this mountain the, the how would his clothes go no, from I'm... being in the river to up the mountain <sighs> see i don't know i don't know this whole thing is just so weird i don't know at all i have no solid theories it's completely crazy it seems like every theory i come up with it's like debunked it's like there's nothing it doesn't make sense something makes it untrue 
it's it's very weird and here's another weird thing that uh wasn't in the documentary was that there there was a supposed sighting of jared at mesa verde national park but it's never been followed up on and it completely puts a major kink into the mountain lion drowning theories and if you're not familiar with this theory a seasonal ranger at mesa verde was leading a morning tour group when a little boy kept coming up to him trying to hold his hand the ranger said the man he was with kept calling the boy something that sounded like Gerald. That night, as he watched the news with his wife, Jared's picture came up and he immediately recognized him as the boy he saw in the group. What? Dude, I just got chills reading that, like that down was... my back of my neck. I was like, it seems like, and this is what Jared's dad believes is that his son was kidnapped and... That's crazy. I mean, what? this guy. I'm confused. So Mesa now. Verde is like on the other side of where he went missing. So it's possible that he could he could have either wandered there or he got taken there to the other side. But why? But what? why would again? Why would somebody take an abducted child back into the national park on a tour? But it's weird that this kid kept coming up to him and he looked a lot like Jared when he saw him later that night. I am so confused now. What? This stuff it's is never so been weird. followed up on, apparently. Nobody's ever followed up on the sighting of Jared in the Mesa Verde National Park. But what it completely just Earth. like kills the other theories of mountain lion drowning. Unless it's not him, but like, why? So basically, there could be some crazy sicko out there that abducted him, has him, and is like literally playing with everybody. It could be like I was thinking like what if there's people that like live in these national parks in like caves or something and they take people <laughs> Well, we already know. I mean, what does that makes is yeah. that crazy to say? No, it's not. It's absolutely not crazy. I mean look at There we in Colorado alone. I think there's been a lot of different bus of different types of um, You know child child rings and things like that that have been busted in rural Colorado places It's freaky to yeah. think about but this is true. They have mm -hmm. Johnny Gosh was kept in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Most of his. That's what I'm saying is yeah. like. We don't know who's living off the grid in these parks. No. And neither do the parks probably. Uh -uh. The world's a big place. They're huge parks. Yeah. Huge. I would not be surprised. Yeah. That's so crazy. We don't though. know what's all in the parks. Why would you bring him back to the park? If someone really took him, why would they bring him back? That's so weird. It's very weird. And the reason why I believe this even more is because Jared's dad himself does not believe the mountain lion theory because he believes someone removed Jared's clothing before he was attacked. Wow. Which is why that he's not paid to do any speaking engagements or podcasts. It's rare. Anyone wants to talk to him about it. Why don't people want to talk to him about it? To Alan. They have though. They have though. I have some information that he talked about in a uh, podcast interview actually. Well, it says it's rare that people want to talk to him. Yeah, which is he could come on our podcast. Well, here's I'll tell welcome. you I'll tell you why. Because people think he's like crazy. Because listen to his his conspiracy theory. Okay. Cuz there is no official conclusion from law enforcement on Jared's case. It's still open. But basically Alan Jared's dad um believes that Jared was abducted by a park ranger and taken to Mesa Verde National Park on the other side of Colorado, killed and then returned to the Roosevelt National Forest, and that the DNA test was fabricated by police and that no teeth have really been found. 
and that Jared's clothing was inside out when he arrived at the scene, suggesting um, molestation, but refolded back to normal when official photos were taken. That Jared was abducted by a cultist or government PETA rings that a man from the local police called him saying the police were keeping secrets from him about what really happened. The book calls police officers investigators charlatans and calls Alan a follower of Christ who must stand up for their evil obstruction of justice. Interesting. So I'm not going to say this. I, I don't know 100% if he said this or not, but um, this did come is from that, an interview. So that kind of seems like he, that's what this, he thinks. Yeah, but he definitely does think that there is some type of abduction by somebody that killed him or, you know, may have used him for, he could have been a sex offender or something like that, basically. Mm -hmm. And those, those types of rings do exist. With Absolutely. Involved in it. They do. Yeah. And there is proof of it, mm -hmm. which is crazy. I mean, that would make sense, especially the fact that his pants were found inside out. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh -huh. But that's the whole thing. And, and that's right. That's the whole thing with all of these is that, there's a lot of possibilities. There's infinite possibilities, seemingly. There's infinite theories that could be drawn about it. But at the end of the day, we just don't know. We just don't know exactly what happened. Mm -mm. And that's the case uh, for Bobby Bizup. Oh, yeah. This is weird. This is very weird. This is also in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Near Estes Park, near the Stanley Hotel. If you've never heard of that, it's a haunted hotel. Yeah, I did a video on it. Yeah, we got to go back there. I, I love know. that place. I know we do. It's beautiful. Paranormal. <laughs> paranormal hub there. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, seriously, though. We had a paranormal experience there. Yeah, we did. <laughs> There's a video about it. There is. All right. So Bobby Bisop. So on August 15th, 1958, Bobby Bisop, age 10, was fishing down by Cabin Creek while attending summer camp at St. Mallow Retreat near Esses Park, Colorado which is a camp organized by the Catholic Church. At approximately 6 p.m., a camp counselor approached Bobby and informed him it was time for dinner. The two of them walked down the hill back toward the camp. The counselor, noting Bobby was just behind him, yet when he reached the camp and turned back again, Bobby was gone. He vanished. How does he even know he was following him if he just didn't talk to him the whole way back? That's so weird. That sounds sketch. I don't understand, man. I don't understand, like, how people buy that. Like I know. You're the counselor of this camp. He's 10 years old. You think you wouldn't just like walk in front of him and not like make yeah. sure he was with you. I know that's I guess there's irresponsible me. parents and, yeah, and adults out there that mm -hmm. just don't look after but the you young think he'd, like hear him or if something happened to him behind him, you would hear it. That's, that's what's, what's weird, weird about it, too. So he must have like, felt he have screamed if something grabbed him or back. something. Yeah. It's not like he walked that much faster than him. If he was yeah. walking behind, it's not like he was, you know, running. Right. Which. It's weird. Yeah, maybe there's something sketchy with that counselor yeah, going on. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. All right, so Bobby Bissup. Oh, fuck, sorry, I just lost my place. No, it's the St. Mallow Retreat. Yeah. All right, St. Mallow Retreat, also known as Chapel on the Rock, was built in 1936 on land donated by Mr. and Mrs. Oscar Mallow. The concept of the chapel was to be built on a rock, uh, like the famous uh, Bible verse. I forget what it is. But it's just east of Rocky Mountain National Park, which is literally right on the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. So at that time, the facility was used as a boys' camp led by priests and seminarians. Bobby Bissop, the only son of Master Sergeant Joseph Bissop, attended that camp. Bobby was mostly deaf and didn't speak clearly, so he mm. mostly kept to himself. 
but he loved fishing. So after the search for Bobby begins, it extended across four days with an estimated 300 people searching over 16 square miles. So that's a huge operation, which in every case, this does not happen. In a lot of cases, there isn't this many resources to be looking for somebody. But in back in 1958, they, they had a lot more, it seems. But the search included airmen from Denver's Lowry Air Force Base, where Bobby's father was stationed. Bloodhounds searched the woods and skin divers searched the heavier ponds. The the search extended up Mount Meeker to approximately 11,000 feet and four miles in each direction. There was no sign of him, only his bait box about a mile from the creek where he was last seen by his counselor. The camp director made a statement claiming he was sure Bobby was just hiding. A vacationing physician claimed to have seen Bobby walking the streets at Nessus Park 15 miles north of St. Malo's. That's what's so interesting. And they left out in the documentary is that there was claims of seeing him walking in Estes Park, like in the streets, in the town. What? How would he have gotten to back there? Just walk down? Who? I don't know. 15 miles? Somebody drove him there if he was, in fact, in Estes Park. That is so weird. Yeah. Clerks in Estes Park hardware store also reported seeing a young boy resembling Bobby. Even and they even tried to ask him questions, but he failed to respond, pointing to his mouth and ears, and quickly left when approached. That's really crazy. Because if that was in fact him, then he was abducted. Clearly, yeah, he didn't walk fifteen miles in in that time. There's no but way. How could he have gotten abducted with the camp counselor like right in right. front of him? That's what's so wild about this. Uh huh. Something seems weird. I want to know more about the camp counselor. Yeah, me too. Because that's really weird. That's very sketchy. But it wasn't until almost a year later on June 6, 1959, that he was finally found. Three camp counselors from St. Milo's, including one who helped lead the original search for Bobby, came across part of his hearing aid, scraps of clothing, and some bones, which were all later to be confirmed as being Bobby's. What's crazy about this is where his remains were found because they were found in a ravine's heavy underbrush just below Timberline on Mount Meeker, which Timberline is the point on a mountain, very, very high point where it's so high that trees can't even grow anymore. So 11,000 feet up a 14,000 foot mountain. So how did, how on earth did he get up that high? That's the question. How did he get there? And why didn't we find his body there? Or why didn't we find the rest of his remains there? Or why didn't we even find him during the original search? Because they searched that whole area, remember? They went up. They went into, that high. They went in, yeah, they went up that mountain. They thought he could have gotten up there. They looked, they thought maybe I'm, again, back to a mountain line, because mountain lines would oh, like carry drag him, up. him up. They would if they attack you, they're gonna pull you up somewhere. So if that happened and a mountain lion got him, then the camp counselor definitely would have heard the mountain lion right. attack him. They're not that stealthy. And there'd be some blood and Absolutely. signs of a struggle. You know, marks in the dirt, his footprints, something. He was deaf. He didn't really speak. Well, you can still scream. But if you're, yeah. If well, you're being attacked by a mountain lion, it's not you're going to be like, oh, I'm just quiet. Like, no. No, you're going to be like. You're going to make noise. Deaf or not, I think you're going to scream. Like, And I think if anything, there would be marks on the ground. Did they like try to follow footprints or anything? They did. They uh they well, yeah, they did track footprints, I believe, and they 
came back, I want to say. Or maybe, I'm sorry, maybe that was the other one, It seems actually. like these these stories are always so confusing and, like, don't have enough detail. Well, we, that's the thing, is it comes down to, like, about it. someone, like, it comes down to someone recounting a story, basically. Yeah. But Bobby was found almost a year later, three to three and a half miles away from the camp and 2,500 feet up Mount Meeker. That's crazy. Which would have been very difficult for a 10-year-old to even just climb up there. Yeah. But the fact that people claim to have seen him in Estes Park, 15 miles south of St. Mallow, is just mind-boggling. How would he have gotten there? I don't know. That is Maybe he was weird. hungry and headed toward food, but, but disappeared. Why? What? Why would he go up for food? He would go back to the camp or to town. Yeah. Because even look at the picture. I mean, look this how far that is. doesn't make any sense. Look how far the little location of remains compared to where he is all the way up there. Wow. That's wow. crazy. And he's just a kid. He's a 10-year-old. That's bizarre. Something sketchy is going on with that for sure. Because that's the thing, right? If you get eaten by wildlife, there's going to be a sign. Like, they don't, they're not like clean yeah. eaters. They're not like no picking up all their, you know, cleaning up after them. Yeah. No. That's, That's craziness. So all right, let's talk about Dior. This case is crazy to me. Yeah, this is this was kind of the main case they focused on in uh, the 401 movie because it can go a lot of ways. And it's it's really just a missing. It's a missing child case that is baffling. All right. So the child's name is Dior, and he was last seen in uh, Lamai County in Idaho on July 10, 2015. He was with his parents, Jessica Mitchell and Vernel de Dior Kuhn Sr., his great-grandfather, Robert Walton, and Walton's friend, Isaac Reinwind. The group was camping at Timber Creek Campground in a remote mountainous area about 10 miles west of Lador, Idaho. And this campground was extremely remote. The road to it was miles long and it was like rocks, like off-road type road. Like you gotta have an off-road vehicle. So remember that. But at 2.35 p.m., Mitchell called 911 and said her son had disappeared. According to her, she left Dior with Walton and she and Dior Sr. went to explore the campground. And when they returned about 10 to 15 minutes later, the child was gone. But that's not exactly. that. They were walking with him. He started following them then to go back. see something. Yeah. There was something like they didn't believe that someone had found fish and they wanted to see where they were the finding minnows, fish. right, yeah. And so they were all walking and he followed them and then they were like, are you sure you want to go? It's a long way. And he was like, no, and turned back. And then they didn't see him actually get to the grandpa. So right. it's not like, and the grandpa wasn't communicated with, like we're leaving him with you, you know, so... Who even knows? Well, that's what's so crazy is the story fluctuates a bit as far yes. as what, what exactly, exactly happened. happened at the time he was last seen. But they looked they looked for him. His parents looked for him for about 20 minutes before calling 911. According to Mitchell, Dior never went anywhere without his blanket, his cup, or his toy monkey, and all these items were left at the campground. So what happened to him? He literally just... Dis he literally just disappeared somewhere between where they were walking and the campsite because the grandpa basically said he like dozed off like he was like he he understood that he was to watch him but he understood also that he kind of just 
I'm confused though because they said that they just sent him back. So maybe he didn't. He thought he was with him. He was with them. Maybe yeah. I mean that's the that's the whole thing about it is it doesn't make sense. And as yeah. we find out, the story changes. It gets a little sketchy. It gets a little sketchy because yeah, it it doesn't really make sense, and it doesn't make sense that his grandfather also had his this other guy there that was just his friend, and this guy is a, a interesting individual for sure. But basically, to this day, police don't exactly know what happened to little Dior. But they quickly sent trained professionals, police dogs, helicopters out to sur survey the area to see if Dior had fallen into the stream and drowned, or he was attacked and dragged away by animals. But they found no evidence on either front, which there was a little creek there, but it had tons and tons of branches and, and different things in it that would have, if he had fallen in, they would have yeah. They would have found them. Yeah. Don't you think? Yes, ab absolutely. It was very like congested. There's no way you could just float down this thing. It was like tons of logs and rocks and it wasn't like a clear space with like tons of flowing water. It looked like kind of a creek that just had No, not you know, something that would like sweep you away. Yeah, it was a creek. It was not a, a creek. river. Yeah, they kept calling it a creek. Do some people call it that though? Is that like I think a it's name kind of like it? a yeah. I don't know. I've heard that crick. before. Yeah, I've heard it called a creek before too. But, of course, in many missing persons, especially missing child cases, first order of business is to look at the parents, obviously. The police have to look at the parents to see and make sure that they're not involved in some way. And that's where inconsistencies begin to arise. The police finally admitted that Jessica and Dior Sr. were suspects in January 2016, as citizens wondered whether or not they should answer the couple's call for donations, which... The thing about it is they have been very vocal about their missing son and in the documentary they're interviewed pretty extensively about yeah. about it and stuff and and for me personally I don't get like they seem like yeah. pretty distraught and like upset yes, concerned and, parents for sure they didn't seem they acted how I would expect someone to act you know right. you can't judge someone for how they act but like you also kind of can because we've seen some weird things in the past but they were definitely I don't know from especially from him the father I got he was very concerned he was very proactive about you know how do we like what do we do to find him and the mother seemed really distraught over it mm -hmm. so I mean maybe they're obviously they're gonna be considered suspects when the, it doesn't make sense any other way but that's where David Politis and other people would say well it may not make sense based on what we know but there's things out there we may not know about right and that could leave someone being guilty for something that they're they're not guilty of right. because it's something that's yet to be understood or something that's yet to be seen aliens bigfoot yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't yeah. have that much uh familiarity with like cryptids or whatever it's called but i mean who's to say that that stuff isn't real but but the thing about it is like police have come out and said that and this is a quote they said they need People need to know that the mom and dad are being less than truthful and they can make a decision whether to donate based on that. He said, we've inter interviewed them multiple times and every time there are changes to parts of their story. The little things all change every time we speak with them. That's concerning. We re-interviewed them, but they weren't willing to tell us the truth. And this coming from the sheriff. As for the grandpa and his friend Isaac Rhinewind, who were also at the campsite, they were at the scene, so we won't rule them out. But in terms of persons of interest, I think mom and dad are higher on the list. 
One year after the disappearance, more weird evidence came out to suggest that things didn't happen the way the parents suggested they did. According to Idaho News, Jessica and Dior Sr. were evicted from their apartment in Idaho Falls, and inside the abandoned home, investigators found toys and a camo jacket that the parents said baby Dior had had with him when he went missing. Weird. Yeah. Another weird thing is, and maybe completely unrelated, but Jessica does not have custody of her other two kids. Oh. from another relationship is something that I saw which was interesting. That definitely hurts their credibility for sure. But what's really just makes me question them is they had a they hired a private investigator to work for them to prove their inno- innocence actually quit working for them in November 2017 and he told the Idaho News that it is our firm belief that until truthfulness comes from the persons that we as well as law enforcement have named as suspects there's nothing further to investigate. They went on wow. to suggest that the parents get charged at least with child endangerment. Wow. Interesting. A private investigator said that? He also said a lot more, but it's, you know, wow. a lot of it is more speculative, I think. Wow. But they, it, a lot of people believe the parents are know at least more about what happened than they're telling. And some people are saying it could have been accidental, an accidental death cover-up type situation. But where would they put his body? I don't know. Because it's like they searched their campsite, they, they searched the trailer, All they searched the whole area. Where did they put it? Unless literally everyone was in on it and it happened days before. Well, that's what people think is and that the kid completely... never made it to the campsite. That's possible too. Like maybe they, they were at a different campsite first or somewhere else first. That's where it happened. And then they like go out into the middle of the forest and it's like more believable. That, Which is a possibility. Right. That Yeah. But then you'd have to assume that the grandpa's in it, the grandpa's right. friend is in on it. The dad, the mom. Wasn't there some other person too? There was like one other friend, I thought. Too. No, it was the grandpa, uh, the friend, and then the mom and dad. Well, weren't they walking to, when they were walking and he was following them? I thought there was a third person with them. It might have been. It was just the mom and the dad. Walton. That Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So, Oh, so it was the friend of the grandpa that was with them. I believe right. so. I, and he I, was fishing. Yeah. I remember now. He was fishing. He said he caught something. They went to go see. Right. So he was with them and he wasn't so. with the grandpa or else they would have made note of him being there as well yeah and remember they went to this to the friends like trailer that he lives in and they like tried to like interview him and remember how weird he acted when he like opened the door and just was like creep like barely opens like i don't think i saw that part I was, what oh uh, no i did remember and he, i did like, i did i did yes. hey do you know like can you tell us anything yes. about the disappearance and yes. he's like He's like, I have nothing to say Such or something weird. He's a really weird dude. You'll see it in the movie, but I don't know. I, I, yeah. I just get weird vibes from like, I just, I think there's definitely something more going on than they're telling us. I really do. And I hate making judgments based upon, you know, circumstantial well, yeah. evidence, but that's what you got to go off of sometimes. And at the end of the day, if there is foul play involved, as the sheriff's department says, then, you know, we want justice for little Dior. I mean, he's a cute little guy. What's in there? Her police call kind of strange, too. I don't really remember. Mm. Well, the, it was weird because they they almost weren't able to make a police call because oh, they were right. so far out there. And I guess she tried a couple times and then the husband actually got in the truck and like drove down the road to try to see if they could get service because they, they said there wasn't even really like cell service, but they happened to get a call through. Yeah. How did they even do that? Yeah. Ah, it's it's so weird. Yeah, they said they tried for a while though. Yeah. All right, I have the call. Do you want to hear it real fast? You have the nine one one call. Yeah. 
ever wants to make. What's the address of your emergency? Um, I'm actually camping in Redworth. So it's outside of Redworth. Uh-huh. Um, my two-year-old oh, my son. Two-year-old son. Um, we can't find him. You can hear Jessica Mitchell's voice trembling. How long has he been missing? Around an hour. An hour? Yeah. The last place family says they saw Dior Kuntz Jr. was a campground 10 miles west of Ledor after being put on hold. Jessica? Yeah. Okay. What is he wearing? He was wearing cowboy boots, a blue um, pair of, like pajama pants, and a camel jacket. The dispatcher asks for a description of the toddler. How tall is he? Hello? Probably just bad service. I'm not exactly sure how. She doesn't seem that focused, though. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. It's, I mean, it's so hard to, like, judge, judge off yeah. emotion or any of that because right. no one knows how you'd react, but my first thought is like i don't whenever i've heard a number of different experts say that if you ever hear um before something like that that it could imply there's some type of of uh could deceit there happening it's hard to say i say um so much no um, one knows how they would act <laughs> no like, that's true and i i'm not saying that that's right at all cuz honestly i don't know what i would do i might say um cuz my mind might be such a mess yeah. that I can't even formulate what I'm trying to say, you know? Right. So, yeah, that case is still open and still trying to figure out what happened to poor little guy, little Dior. Little Dior. I mean, I hope he's still out there, but God, it's it's been it's been a while now. Yeah. Probably not. Hard for a little guy like that to survive in the wild if he is, you know, alone. Mhm. But this is, let's get into a few more um, facts around this that's just so interesting. So if, if you didn't know, there's roughly 640 million acres of federal lands, including national parks, national forests, and the Bureau of Land Management property. On a side note, the National Institute of Justice, the research arm of the Department of Justice, calls unidentified remains and missing persons the nation's silent mass disaster. Estimating that any, on any given day, there are between 80,000 and 90,000 people actively listed with law enforcement as missing. Wow. And this is not just national parks. It's just across just, the board. Yeah, there's an it's insane. It's an astounding amount. That's crazy, though. That's really the that missing really persons is. thing is like a real problem. Like oh, a yeah. Very. Totally. What the fuck is going on, man? I don't know. I think too many. I feel like it's just too many for. I think a lot of them are going to the same random. <sighs> God, I think human trafficking is a huge part of it. I think it probably is a huge part of it for sure. And what's crazy is that a majority of those in that number disappeared in populated areas. However, a large number go missing in rural places, such as the cases like 51-year-old Dale uh, Stealing, who in 2013 vanished from a short petroglyph viewing trail near the gift shop at Colorado's Mesa Verde National Park, which I've been to that national park and probably that gift shop too. And he was not even that far away from the gift shop and he just disappeared without a trace. Morgan Heimer, a 22-year-old rafting guide who was wearing professional grade uh, personal flotation device when he disappeared in 2015 in the Grand Canyon National Park during a hike. 
Ohioan Chris Fowler, who vanished from the Pacific Crest Trail in 2017. So that's the thing also I wanted to to make clear is that this is not just children going missing too. This is all ages. This mm-hmm. is not just a like age specific problem. Mm-mm. It's not at all. Another thing that's that's interesting too is it seems like if you go missing in the wilderness or in a park that there may or may not be anyone coming to look for you. Yeah. Which is crazy. That is crazy and scary. It's not like they have all these people on deck just waiting to find missing persons. Especially because you need so many more people. You need such a more advanced search party to to search rough terrain like that. Yeah. So it honestly costs a lot of resources. Plus, you're thinking, like, what are the chances that they're out there? Like, how much of our resources is it? Like, I see why they could be ending them. But then it's like, if it was you and your family, you would want them to do whatever they can. But, like... What are you just going to search forever for people? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's like it's hard. There's so many people, and that's a tough area to be searching. Well, it's like how how many days do you say is enough? Is enough? Like how many? How long before you call yeah. it off? Like, Seven days seems a little rough, but but it's like how know. long? I mean, it costs money to do that, especially knowing that it could have been an animal and stuff. But then, oh, man, I don't know. This it's a little odd. This will uh, kind of interest you, but. So the national parks like Yosemite, Rocky Mountain National Park, operate often as sovereign states with their own search and rescue teams, and with or actually with the exception of New Mexico and Alaska. But statutes that date back to the Old West stipulate that you're now the responsibility of the county sheriff in many places. And that's the truth, is like the county sheriff isn't necessarily equipped for search and rescue operations. Most of the time they're not. And they're the ones that are often responsible that the you know the responsibility falls on in many of these missing persons cases which is that you know is that the way that it should be should there should it be experts on staff for all these parks like rio grande national forest has one full-time law enforcement officer ranger yeah that's it Mm -hmm. wow one law enforcement officer because like most of it is nobody's there but people but people hike it and people camp it and things like that but there's only one law enforcement officer because i mean it it does come back to money and do they have the finances to pay rangers and things like that yeah and they don't they actually keep slashing funding for the national parks and stuff oh totally like that's what i mean and i don't mean disrespect to anyone by saying like after a certain amount of time enough's enough but like they literally can't afford to keep doing it and You're it's because right. they're being cut so much. So, so it's hard so it's hard to just say like all the blame falls on the national parks and they're not doing right. enough. You can't really say that cuz they are trying to do I think what they can, but And it's just such a different situation too cuz when someone goes missing in a city, there's a lot more witnesses, there's places, there's like more leads and things to to go off of. But when someone's just missing out in the wilderness and it's possible no one has seen them, I mean, it's a lot harder to do. It's very, it's much, much harder. Like, where do you even start? No, you're right. And how do you know where somebody's going to end up either? Like, you can't, you can't even like really predict that because it could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's some other craziness around this. So the Department of Interior, which we mentioned, who's responsible, oversees the National Park Service, knows roughly how many wolves, grizzly bears, wildlife roam its lands 
but it can't keep track of the amount of visitors that disappear. Does that sound like a problem? Like they can keep track of animals, tag, and all these other things, keep databases, make yeah, estimates. That's they really can't even make an estimate or even give you an idea of the number of people that go missing. Is that just from like lack of communication between? There's no database. There's no system. That's ridiculous. And you'd think for something like that too, because I'm sure people do just get naturally lost in there all the time and you should have record of how many. They don't have any statistics of like how often it happens or nothing. That's pathetic. They don't know. That's weird to me. They can't give any definite numbers at all. They have no way to track it. That's bizarre. The Department of Justice keeps a database for the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, but reporting missing persons is voluntary in all but 10 states. And law enforcement and coroner participation is voluntary as well. So a lot of missing are also missing from the actual database, even the official database, because it's not even required to put them in the database. That is bizarre. Except for 10 states. So when, uh, when David was interviewed um, by a uh, publication called Outside, he said, I don't put any theories in the books that he wrote. I just connect facts. Under unique factors of disappearances, he lists such reoccurring characteristics as dogs unable to track scents, the time late afternoon is a popular window to vanish, and that many victims are found with clothing and footwear removed. Bodies are also discovered in previously searched areas with odd frequency, sometimes right along the trail. Children and remains are occasionally found in, in un, improbable distances from the point last seen and improbable terrain. So basically in places where children could no way in no way, shape or form yeah. get themselves to. Right. That's super weird. So some people find it tempting to just dismiss David Plyde's work and his books as just, you know, he's a kooky guy that thinks that there might be, you know, some cryptids or, you know, Sasquatch kidnappings or something like that. So he does get discounted by some search and rescue professionals, but his books are in fact extensively researched on a large map of North America in his office. Politis has identified 59 clusters of people missing on federal wildlands in the U S and Southern Canada. That's interesting to qualify as a cluster. There must be at least four cases according to his pins. So if you ever visit Yosemite national park, crater Lake, Yellowstone, grand Canyon and Rocky mountain national parks, these are all, those are all places clusters. we want to go. Yeah, they are because they're beautiful places. It's got to be safe. But it's it's Never definitely where yourself. the uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like most of these people are you don't go you don't you never go hiking by yourself ever. Like yeah. that's just like a rule of thumb with hiking For or sure. being in the mountains in general. Is just you never go anywhere by yourself because you're in the wild. Like would you go to the app? Would you go on an African safari by yourself? Like it's the same kind of no. thing. I mean, there's probably more animals in Africa, but you still got to worry about wildlife in the mountains. And I think a, I think a lot of people just don't think about that. Don't you? Yeah, I do. They don't even think that there's a chance. And now they don't even let, like Rocky Mountain National Park doesn't even let dogs in. You can't bring your dog in anymore. Because they're worried it might attract. It attracts other... mountain lions. Yeah. Mountain lions are here. They're like, oh, it's prey. Yeah. No, I know. They've just, they've been coming down for a long time. And I don't know exactly why that is. I don't know if like food is getting scarce. I think or that's what it is. We're moving farther into their habitat, which I think is part of it. But they are, mountain lions, like I saw a video on Facebook in Conifer of a person just waking up in the morning and on their like yeah. deck four mountain lions dude 
four of them and mountain lions are big dude wasn't there a case recently where someone like woke up and there was a bear or a mountain lion in their house like they went downstairs yeah and was in the i think fucking so kitchen. yeah yeah there's been like even in like suburban neighborhoods like bears going through backyards I, i've seen so many times on the news where they're we showing do see, video see it a lot of here bears. in colorado yeah. for sure of wildlife and that's the thing yeah. is like maybe there's an increased number of people going missing because there's more wildlife around but I mean, again, it doesn't explain many of these strange circumstances. No. And David Politis has actually spent hundreds of hours writing letters and Freedom of Information Act requests in an attempt to break through the National Park Service's red tape. He believes the Park Service in particular knows exactly how many people are missing but won't release the information for fear that the sheer numbers and the ways in which people went missing would shock the public so badly that visitor numbers would go down. Honestly, mm. I agree with that statement. That I, totally I think, could. Because, I mean, come on, right? They know that, you know, they know numbers for animals and how much, you know, how many fucking bears are out there, but they don't yeah. know how many people go fucking missing. They actually do have a site that I'll link of like cold cases mm. that are on their site. Like, if you know more information, contact us here, things like that. But it's like a couple. It's not even, doesn't that, show you the mass even, amount yeah. of cases there are. Super weird. So here's, here's, kind of the most interesting part about this episode is where we get to talk about like what's really going on here like what's causes and theories for some of these missing person cases so david Plytus's take on this we don't know for sure we'll have to ask him when uh he's on the podcast at some point and i don't know if he'll even give us a definite answer i honestly don't think he will because he hasn't yet so we don't really know exactly what his angle is but i'm i'm going to assume uh, along with what a lot of other people think is that Part of it is David thinks there is something, you know, darker, unseen that could be responsible for some of these uh, missing persons cases. Because in 2013, Politis submitted two Freedom of Information Act requests to the National Park Service for records relating to two missing hikers in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park associated with possible Bigfoot abduction is what the Freedom of Information Act request noted. So, to me, I think he thinks it's a possibility based upon the amount of work that he's done, the amount of evidence that he's found for um, there being some type of Bigfoot out there or half-human, half-bear type creature, which the whole thing with that, I think, is that if, when you have a half-human, half-bear as a creature or you know potentially hunting in our forest, it would make you think that they're probably more intelligent and maybe they're able to like just swoop these these kids up or people up and disappear without a trace maybe they're smart enough to do that i don't know that's just like i'm just it's throwing so that hard out there. to even like think because there's like no evidence so it's literally just leaving there, you. he like, has collected evidence and i think we'll either do a podcast about some of that or we'll wait till yes about he, the half and half the half uh, about yeah he has evidence for dna he claims to half have human half bigfoot dna <sighs> things like that like he has and a, a lot of people just say bullshit 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 and like discredit him and mm -hmm. say that you know so we do, i mean i haven't seen it myself i would love for him to explain that part too. of it to us of things that he's found and what his because he comes is. across as very credible to me Absolutely. So I mean, I'm very interested. To why see would he? he has to say. Why would he try to be? You know, some some people in this paranormal world 
just come across as bullshitters to me. But well, David yeah. Clyde well, yeah. comes across as very serious about what he does. Very knowledgeable. He has an investigative detective mm-hmm. background. Right. So, you know. I'd be super interested to hear what he thinks. So, yeah. So a lot of people believe there might be something more sinister at play here that's responsible or perhaps paranormal happening to the missing persons inside of the national parks. These alleged com- uh, commonalities in time, place, and circumstance of North American disappearances, David claims, are clues to a larger mystery. But some clusters, like people vanishing near water, are unremarkable. Water-related accidents are a common cause of death in the outdoors. Drowning has remained the number one cause of death in national parks over the last decade, which I believe 100%. And I think maybe even some of the cases we talked about, that could have been a drowning could have been a thing, possibly. Mm-hmm. But there's other clusters of cases, he says, that are just com- completely wildly bizarre. Politis has described people melting into their clothing. He implies that children with disabilities are overrepresented among the vanished and that storms inexplicably tend to hit after someone has gone missing. That's weird. That's really weird. What's I'd up love with to the hear melting more about into that. their clothing? What yeah. does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means. I'll have to ask him. Whoa. I'm assuming I, I'm assuming that it just means finding clothes. And the person's gone. So what if it's like aliens abducting people to do like research on? That's one theory that I was going to throw out. Because like, like possibly I was thinking about it. If you were an alien, you wanted to duck someone, you'd probably do it where no one else is around, which is in the middle of nowhere in these forests. Yeah. You know, all these people are normally by themselves. If they Perfect wanted to be like, yeah, stealthy, it would allow you to. To not have like the big commotion of a UFO being over like a city. No, or absolutely something. not. It's a perfect place to abduct somebody and then to either keep them or, you know, yeah, put them back. Or yeah, it's very weird. Cause, Would they have like just dropped the clothes back? That's so weird. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if in every case, but I think mm-hmm. I, I I just think in missing person cases across the board, you got to consider possibly alien abduction. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many people that have a, a abduction stories. It's, it'll blow your mind the amount of people that claim to have been abducted by aliens or yeah, it's a lot of people. We just talked about a politician who said like acts like it was no yeah. big deal. Like, yeah, I was abducted. I got talked like maybe this is a very real thing that's happening. Maybe this is like I bet if we looked at a UFO sighting map versus like the clusters, I bet there's a lot of correlation. Uh, yeah, I bet there 100%. is actually. actually I already know because I I know what the maps look like and a lot of UFO sightings do occur over national forests, parks, areas. So it's like, hmm, possibly. Yeah. I don't know. That's wild. But one other thing I wanted to mention as well, as he said, people disappear are, and are found in the middle of berry bushes. Berry bushes? He said they go missing while picking berries and some are found while eating berries. Interesting. He said that That's the connection random. between some disappearances and berries cannot be denied. Which I think this is going back to the idea of of a Bigfoot or there's this this creature. Why? If you eat berries, the creature comes to you? Maybe they eat berries and maybe that's where... maybe they smell it? No, just like maybe that puts you more at risk. Like maybe you're near somewhere where a Bigfoot has been and... That's so weird. What if they're like... Because they're part bear. Bears like berries. Don't you know that? Like, they eat berries. Did you know bears go and they eat yeah. berries off of the trees? Yeah. So maybe Bigfoot likes to pick berries and eat them. 
So he's saying that there's a there's a surprising number of people that go missing or are found in berry bushes, which that's really weird. Weird, but I mean, is that why they're called berries? Because bears like them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kendall. That's exactly why. <laughs> that's bizarre, man. But some other theories for this is no like sense. serial killer. Or these, mm-hmm. or the victims are just victims of foul play, murderers running through the forest. Which, I mean, there's a lot of really questionable individuals that do reside yeah. in the middle of nowhere, off the grid. Yeah, like we mentioned, because it's a great place to be where you're, you know, kind of unseen from everybody else. So, could there be serial killers running around the forest? Absolutely. Could they be picking off people? Absolutely. Like we mentioned, people that are sex offenders, sexual predators, oftentimes will live off the grid. So there could be, you know, again, the correlation back to human trafficking, things like that. There could be huge fucking camps like out in the middle of these national forests for all we know. Government related or not, there could be. Another thing that I that I think about when when looking at all this is I think that one idea if you guys remember Stranger Things with the secret program going on there, it was kind of in the middle of the forest. There was like this military base, this top secret base where they were doing experimentation on humans. I think it's very possible that inside of these national parks and forests, there could be government facilities underground, maybe not underground, but hidden in these forests where these types of black ops programs are still being conducted because there's trillions of dollars missing from the budget. I mean, there's clearly shit going on. They're clearly still experimenting on humans. You think MK Ultra stopped or not trying to continue to figure out how to do that stuff? No way. It's definitely continuing. There's no way they were just like, so oh, this is unethical. We're going to be done now. They have to do it somewhere. Yeah. Why not on their own federal stuff. land in the middle yeah. of nowhere where no one will ever find them or a hiker might run across it and they can just pick them off that's so true and disappear because that's the thing is like a lot of people there's literally no explanation for why they went somewhere in the forest and then just disappear with zero trace no trace whatsoever thin air that's so weird so my my thought is maybe there's facilities where they're either you know they're either doing human experimentation um from whistleblowers i've heard they're doing uh, even genetic in, genetic engineering where they're crossing humans with animal DNA, crazy things like that. I mean, that would be the place to do it. So could explain some of it. Or maybe they're just like some of the children are getting abducted and then put into some of these black ops programs that raises them for their purpose. As crazy and wild as that sounds yeah. to some of you, like I've heard some a number of, of different whistleblowers that corroborate this idea that they may take individuals at a young age and then do whatever and train them up for whatever their purpose is and then, you know, never release them back or release them back years later even. Yeah. Way, way, way later on. Like one of these kids might show up like 10, 15 years from now and be like, here I am. Like, what if that happens? That's that would possible. be so crazy. But then we'd at least know, like they could tell us, but uh, or what like if like missing persons just slim. like start showing up or or are already integrated back into society after they've been through these programs and they're somebody else, new identity, 
new purpose. They like, don't even know. They've been they like, don't even brainwashed. know. They've even been brainwashed. That's that's another possibility. When they just kill them, though. I mean, sorry, that was morbid, but kind of true. I don't know, man. It's just it. This all just blows my fucking mind. And I know it's very scary. It's really hard to think about because we don't want to think the worst about this stuff. But I think you have to consider everything. Yeah, I think so. The government aliens for sure. Another thing that I think we have to consider is this idea of kind of slipping through dimensions, possibly like coming across portals that might take you into another universe. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. A parallel universe. Like what if some of these, like some of these missing persons cases literally are plucked out of thin air. Gone. Vanished. Gone. Although I I feel like I haven't seen many cases where that seems to be the answer. I don't know. I guess I don't know all of the cases out there, but from what I've seen. Or there's multi-dimensional creatures that can't be seen. Some people believe like there's literally creatures that it's like Stranger Things, like literally yeah, like they can take you that are another from dimension. another dimension, either put like bring you through or you know can just make you disappear. I don't know. Or this could all just be natural causes. This just could be a result of being in the wilderness. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, you know, we go in the ocean all the time and, you know, we don't always like question people that go missing on, on the sea the same way that we do this because it's land versus sea. So you just always assume, yeah, you always assume drowning or. Yeah. Well, you can't like really look for evidence. So that's all you can really assume. But like with these cases, you can try to find remnants of them or something so that's why it's so weird it is so i just like because the biggest thing is like it's wild animals wild animals kill people every year let's see i'm trying to find how many people are killed every year but i don't even know if there's an so during a study period there were about 86 deaths annually from venomous animal encounters just like out in the wild or is it like trainers that work with animals it could be i think it could be i think it's wild animals people that tried to pet a fucking shark no this is this could include pets and people that work with these types of animals okay so that's venomous though but what about like mammals it's four yeah i mean there's not even that great of i feel like i never hear about that like an attack I think the statistic they gave in the movie was like there was like four there's been like 14 mountain lion fatalities like ever or like over a large period of time. Yeah, I remember it was something really low too. That is so bizarre. I want to know what you guys think. Is there any like things that we didn't go over or ideas that you have or what theories you lean towards the most? I definitely feel like I honestly might lean most towards like aliens. Or I guess human trafficking, something government. I don't know, though. I don't know. This is just one of those things where it's just... its, it it's does, There's not anything pointing in one direction more than another. Yeah, and I, I think David would probably agree with us. Like, there's just... We just... It's unknown, you know? We're still... Yeah. We're investigating the unknown here. But we think that it is something more than just natural causes for a lot of these cases because we don't have the evidence that we should for an animal attack or something else or drowning or something like that. So it's a huge question mark. I mean, what the hell is happening to these people? Where are they going? You know, will we ever find more than what we found or find them at all? I mean, that's... Man, I hope so. I can't imagine like... That's what's so crazy about having it. Having your loved one just... Ugh. 
God. Especially like thinking about your loved one being attacked and like ripped apart by an animal. That's like got to be so devastating. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to even think that or visualize that in your head of like your child being carried off by a mountain lion and Mm -hmm. eaten for, you know, and like going out that way. That's really rough, man. That's that's really, really just tough to think about. But yeah, I mean, definitely let us know what you guys think. We definitely want to know your thoughts, theories on where these people are going, what you think of David's work. If you'd like to see David on the podcast at some point, definitely let us know in the comments. And yes, that would be super fun. Yeah, it would be super fun to just talk about this in more detail and hear more personal experiences from David. Yeah, I feel like like he has probably so much more to share on this than us because this is just like there's such a big question mark around it that it's hard to even do research. Well, I'm sure there's like crazier cases than the one we even covered like that are in his books. Well, there's tons of cases. Yeah, tons of. Yeah, well, there's 1600 and counting. Do you remember that case Bryce Las Pisa from California? He was like that redhead kid. He was driving home to his parents house and pulled off into this like little ridgeway near a mountain yeah and yeah. He, he wouldn't leave they kept seeing him there he kept not leaving and then we we looked it up and there was a national park really close to him where he was it was like really close like a drive away what the hell and i was thinking he was like being recruited into something yeah because the way he acted he acted like he was like knew he was yeah. leaving it was so that case just it was like up. he it was, was weird told to be to meet there yeah no man (laughs) we could go on and on all day and down the rabbit hole on this because i know there there's just so many possibilities but hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast if you did like subscribe rate review us on itunes really appreciate it but yeah guys thanks for joining us for another episode of the mile higher podcast with your hosts kendall and josh yes and we will see you guys next time 